Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff, one of the pastors at Salt Church. Great to be here with you. How about I pray as we jump into God's Word? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are a God who speaks and has made yourself known. We pray that as we look at what you have to say to us, please teach us, please change us, please help us to live the way you want us to. Amen. Uh, Well, the year was 1993, and I had just moved from inner Sydney to Ulladulla, and I was lonely. I was in year three, and I'd started at a new school, and I spent my lunch times wandering in the playground, hoping someone would say hi and invite me to play with them, but nobody did for about a month, a whole month, until I met Chris. Chris came up, and he said hi, and he invited me to play with him at lunch, and then he invited me back to his house to watch a movie with him after school, and on, on VHS, no less. And I was so excited about this. I was so excited right until he put the movie on, and we started to watch Aliens together. Uh, I was seven. I don't know. He was seven as well. I don't know why he was watching it. I was seven. I got about 30 minutes in before I bailed on this thing, but it was long enough to give me nightmares for two weeks straight. <laughs> Now, being invited to watch Aliens as a seven-year-old was not what I wanted from a friend. It was not at the top of my friend criteria list, but I didn't even care because I was just really glad to be noticed after so long walking around on my own. Is God like that? How we think about God, what we give God, is not really what God wants from us, but he's just happy to be noticed. He's okay with that. He's just happy that we've noticed him. Does God care how we treat him? Well, based on what people say about God, you would assume that God is like that, that God doesn't really mind how we treat him. Have you ever heard someone say things like this? I like to think of God as, or the God I believe in is, and then we insert whatever matters to us. I like to think that God doesn't really care about all the religion and the rules. He just wants me to be a good person. The God I believe in just wants me to be happy. There's even a Christian version of this where we play off one of God's attributes against another of God's attributes. I know that God is holy and he hates sin, but he's also forgiving. So I like to think that God is more forgiving and less holy. Is God like that? Is God how we think? Is God like that? How we think about him, what we give him, is not really what he wants from us, but he's okay with that because he's just happy to be noticed. Does God care how we treat him? This is the question that Paul answers in this this last passage in the book of Acts that we're looking at. Uh, We'll come back to Acts next year. But so far in this series, we've seen from Paul's conversion to his first missionary journey, when thousands of people are converted and churches are planted and there's huge opposition, but the unstoppable news about Jesus just keeps on going out. And Paul, we're up to here, Paul has just been chased out of Thessalonica and Berea by people who hate the message about Jesus and he leaves his friends behind and he comes to Athens. And when he's in Athens, he meets some very religious people. 
They devote lots of time and energy and money to worshipping their gods. They got statues of all of their gods and Paul sees this. Have a look with me in Acts chapter 17. We're going to follow this through, so have it in front of you. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Paul sees this city that is full of people worshipping the gods however they want. Uh, people who say, I like to think that God lives in temples and that, and that he wants to be worshipped with statues. And so they've got all these statues and Paul sees all this and he's deeply troubled by what he sees. And so he starts to teach people about Jesus. Now, one thing you need to know about the Athenians is that they loved ideas. Look at verse 21. It tells us this in verse 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Uh, So Friday nights in Athens, nobody's at the pub. Everybody's gone to watch a TED talk. Uh, These people read the New Yorker magazine for, for fun. They watch Jordan Peterson clips on YouTube in their spare time. This is a city full of intellectuals and philosophers. And Paul's there talking about Jesus. And as he's talking about Jesus, a TED talk scout hears him speaking and he says let's bring him up on stage have a look at verse 18 verse 18 a group of epicurean and stoic philosophers began to debate with him some of them asked what is this babbler trying to say others remarked he seems to be advocating foreign gods they said this because paul was preaching the good news about jesus and the resurrection then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the areopagus read ted talk they brought him to a ted talk or a debate, some kind of university debate, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. This is where we see the answer to our question. Does God care how we treat him? Does God care how we think about him, or is he just happy to be noticed? Because Paul's noticed two things about the people in Athens. He noticed that they're very spiritual and religious, but they don't know who they worship. You can see that in verse 22. Read it with me, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. These are very sincere people. They've had a lot, they devote a lot of time and energy and money to worshipping their gods. All the gods. Even an unknown god, just in case they've forgotten one. There's no god who can feel left out. There's no god who could feel like they didn't care about them or notice them. They've got all their bases covered. And Paul says, the fact that you have an altar to an unknown god tells me something about you. It tells me this, verse 23, look at the end of verse 23. It tells me that you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, what is he, what is he saying here? I think there's two options of what he could be saying here. He could be saying, I'm going to tell you about this one unknown God. You've got an inscription to an unknown God. I'm going to tell you about that unknown God. Or, 
He could be saying, you worship lots of gods, but the fact that you have an unknown God proves you don't know God. You don't know everything about God. You admit that you don't know everything about God. So I'm going to tell you about God. Could be either of those options. I think it's the second option based on what Paul says next, which we'll see in a second. But notice here, notice what he critiques. Notice his concern about them. It's that they're ignorant, not that they're insincere. These are very religious and spiritual people. They are sincere in their beliefs. And we know people who are like this. Maybe you're a person like this, who's really sincere in what you believe. I've shared this before at Soul Church. This is my uh, group of friends from university. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a poster for diversity, I think. Um, I'm the third along, pre-beard. I look really young and fresh. There you go. Life happened. Uh, but let me tell you about some of these people. Uh, Ronnie, uh, this is what they believed at the time when I was at university. Ronnie was a Muslim. Rohan, an atheist. Rob, a Jehovah's Witness. Joe is a Hindu. Marchin was a fun-loving agnostic. Therese was Coptic Orthodox. Nicole was Catholic. And Holly was a spiritualist. I don't know if that's what they'd say now about what they believe, but that's a pretty diverse group of different beliefs. And all of these people were great people. We got on really well. They were really sincere in what they believed. But what does being sincere prove? It proves that you're sincere. It doesn't prove if you're right. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be right, but insincere. Paul's concern here is that they're ignorant, not that they're not sincere. His concern is they're ignorant, and so he tells them four things they don't know about the one true God. That's what we're going to look at his talk here. Four things they don't know about the one true God. The first thing he tells them is that God is not like us. God's not like us because he made us. So have a look in verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. He's saying we are part of the world. We're created. But God is the creator. God's not part of this world. God made the world and everything that exists in the world, but he lives outside the world. We can't exist if there's no world and there's no air. But if there was no world, no anything, God would still be there. The people in Athens and and some people in Wollongong believe that God lives in a temple or he lives in a cathedral or he lives in a church or he lives somewhere in the world like we do. But he doesn't. God doesn't live in this world. God made the world. He rules the world. He's not like us. He's also not like us because he doesn't need us. Verse 25, Paul tells us this. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. The basic foundation for these people in Athens and for some people in Wollongong is the belief that God does need us. So they'd offer food to a statue so that the God doesn't go hungry. They would pray to God so that God is noticed. The true God loves us, but he doesn't need us. How could God need our hands to give him anything when he made our hands? He gave us our hands and life and breath and everything else. God's not relying on us. 
There's no plan of God that will ever fail because we dropped the ball. If we don't serve in church, God can still grow people because God can make it happen. If we don't share about Jesus, God can still save people. If we don't worship God, God will still be praised because God can make it happen. Now, we should serve and we should share and we should worship, but not because God needs us to. It's because God deserves us to. It's for our joy and his glory. And think about God's not like us. God's not like us because he's not stuck in one time or one place like we are. Look at verse 26. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God is the God of all nations, not just the God of ancient Israel or the God of America or anywhere in the world. God's the one who decides where people live. God decides when nations will rise and when nations will fall. We're going to live and die in one small blip in history, in one small part of the world. But God controls all history, all nations, all of the world. This is what they need to know. This is what we need to know. God is not like us. But you also need to know that God wants us to know him. The God who is infinite and powerful, who's creator, who's not like us, who has no need of us, is also the God who wants us to know him. Look at verse 27. See what he says in verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You see that, verse 27? God did this so that they would seek him and find him. This was the purpose of God creating us, the purpose of God doing all these things. He made us to know him, to seek him, to find him. He's not known by the people in Athens, but he is knowable. You can know God. We're God's offspring. We're made for a relationship with God. Like kids are made to know and be known by their parents. There's one true God and Paul tells us who he is so we'd know him. Uh, My boys started playing soccer this year for the first time and it led to lots of chats with new parents on the sidelines. And I had some great chats with this French guy. I met a French man and I had some great chats with him, mostly because his accent was amazing. It was fantastic talking to him. Uh, But he shared his belief He believes that God is a human idea, that we created God because we need someone bigger than ourselves to trust in and rely on. That's what he believed about God. Uh, The people of Athens believe there's many gods and they should all be worshipped. Lots of my friends believe that God is who I'd like God to be, God in my image or God on my terms. And Paul says there's one God, only one God, and this is what he's like. Now, those are very different ideas, and they're actually mutually exclusive, aren't they? They can't all be true. Only one of those ideas can be true. And the people who hold these beliefs hold them very sincerely. But how could you test it? How could you work out which is true? Well, if there is a God, he'd have to make himself known. You'd have no idea that I was watching Aliens on VHS in 1993 
unless I told you that. There is no other way for you to know that. The only way to know someone is if they make themselves known. And that's what God's done. Because look at verse 27 again. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. God made us, he made the world, he made us his offspring so that we know that God wants us to know him. There is one true God. We can know him. And third thing, God cares how we treat him. Look at verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. If there is only one God, and this is what God's like, he made us, he doesn't need us, he's in control of everything, he wants us to know him, then it's not okay to treat God however we want. God is not happy just to be noticed. When we say, I like to think of God as, or the God I believe in is, or the the Christian version where we elevate one thing about God and reduce another, when we do that, what we're doing really is making God in our image, God as we'd prefer Him to be, as opposed to God as He really is. And Paul says, verse 29, Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold, silver, stone, an image made by human design and skill. We can't make God in our own image. God's made us in His image. We can't make God in our image. And whether that's a statue of God or an idea of God, both of them are made by humans in our image. Uh, My brother is big into classic rock. Uh, If you grew up on classic rock... I think they call it that because it's like classical music. It's really old. And that's why they call it that. No, I love classic rock. It's so good. I won't look at Rob. Uh, but my brother loves to go to concerts to see these old rockers playing. And a few years back, he got us tickets to see Roger Waters, the lead singer and guitarist of Pink Floyd. Uh, and the tickets were over 200 bucks. We went to this amazing stadium show. It was fantastic. Uh, we both went. But imagine if I said to him, all right, it's my turn. I want to show you, bro, that I care about you. You bought me tickets. I'm going to take you to a show. Now, you say that you love expensive tickets to see old rockers, classic rock artists. But I like to think that that you're more the kind of guy who loves cheap tickets to pop shows. And so I've bought you tickets to a K-pop concert, a K-pop band. Let's go together. It's going to be awesome. I could do the same thing with my wife, Fiona. This is my wife, Fiona. She doesn't know I'm going to say this. Uh, she loves tea. She loves long chats. But because she's from the country, she calls it a cuppa and a yarn. Uh, she doesn't like seafood. Now, imagine if I said to her, you say you hate seafood, but I actually love seafood. So I like to think that you love seafood too. And to show that I've loved you for our next wedding anniversary, I've booked all-you-can-eat seafood. Uh, or you say you love long chats. But I prefer to think you only want me to talk to you if I need something from you. Isn't that pretty insulting? Isn't it wrong to ignore what someone says about themselves and tell them who we want them to be? But that's the same thing we've done with God. That's the same thing all of us have done with God. I've done this with God. 
There's a man named John Calvin, and in the 1500s, he said, the human heart is an idol factory. We just keep creating new gods and fashioning God into our image. We just keep producing God as we want him to be, God as we'd prefer him to be. And God has been very kind to us. Look at verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God overlooked that for a long time, but he won't overlook it anymore. He commands us to repent, which means to turn around. Uh, UCI's been on this week. Uh, Show of hands, who's been seen a race? Yeah, about half the room. I haven't seen one yet. I might pop down the Savo. Uh, Imagine though, I don't think this has happened at the UCI. I think this is very unlikely to happen. But imagine, I think today they're, they're doing this crazy loop, 220 Ks or something, and then they've got 12 loops of the city track. Uh, imagine one of the riders on one of those 12 loops gets confused. They finish a lap and then for some reason decide to turn around and go back the other way. They think it's like six one way, six the other. They go around the wrong way. Now, when they realize what they're doing, they can repent, which would look like them acknowledging that they're going the wrong way. And it would look like them feeling sad that they're going the wrong way and now losing the race. And it would look like them turning around to go the right way. That's repentance. You need all three of those things. Just acknowledging it is not enough. Just feeling sad is not enough. You need all three. You need to turn around and come the right way. There's a great picture of this happening for some Christians in uh, the people Paul taught just before he came to Athens, the people in Thessalonica. Here's what it says. Paul's describing what happened when he brought the good news about Jesus. And he says, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. See what happens? They turned from something. They turned from idols. They turned from this false and ignorant and misguided views they had about God. And they turned to something. They turned to worship and serve and follow and honor the one true God. And now God commands all people everywhere to do the same thing these people did. Why? Because of verse 30. Look at verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he would judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Is it safe to treat God however we want? Nothing's happened in the past. Why would anything happen in the future? No, it's not safe because God will judge the world. God cares how we treat him. He cares how we treat each other. He cares how we treat his world. He'll judge us for what we've said and done. And we know that that day of judgment is coming because God has already picked the judge. Uh, There's some big news. You can apply now for season 16 of Britain's Got Talent. Here's the website. You can jump. You probably have to be British. You can apply now. And they're going ahead with another season in 2023, season 16. How do I know they're going to go ahead with this season? They've already announced who the judges will be. That's how I know they're going to go ahead with this season. If you are waiting in court for your day in court, 
There wouldn't be a judgment day without a judge. But once the judge has been assigned, that day in court will happen. It's the same kind of thing here. God has announced who the judge will be. It's going to be Jesus, his son. So nothing can stop the day of judgment coming. Not even the death can stop Jesus. He's already defeated death. The day when God judges is unstoppable and God cares how we treat him. We've called this series Unstoppable, this whole series, because in spite of opposition, God can't be stopped. In spite of opposition, the good news about Jesus just keeps on going out. But there's actually another thing that's unstoppable. God's judgment day. God's plan to judge all people who don't come to Jesus and to save all people who do come to Jesus. That day of judgment can't be stopped because God won't stop it. The day has already been set. The judge has been chosen. God has proven it by raising Jesus from the dead. And now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And see in verse 30, he commands all people to repent. This is more than an invitation. God doesn't simply want to be treated right by everyone. God deserves to be treated right by everyone. Uh, When I first joined Salt Church uh, eight years ago now, I used to tell people, I go to Salt Church. And what I love about Salt Church is that lots of people want to explore Jesus and what he says about life, but they never step foot in a church. And what I love about Salt is that Salt doesn't feel like a church. And we make it really accessible for people to come and explore Jesus. I still think that's true. But after reading this verse, I've realized what I should have been saying for the last eight years. I go to Salt Church, and what I love about Salt Church is that everyone has to follow and trust Jesus. But a lot of people would never set foot in a church, and Salt doesn't feel like a church. We make it really accessible for people to discover that they must trust in Jesus. See the difference between those two things? One of them's an invite. The other is this. It's not just an invitation. Become a Christian if you want. Take it or leave it. God commands all people to turn to him. And we can actually do it because last thing that they need to know and we need to know is that God gives us repentance. Uh, This is buried in the passage. It's not as obvious. Come back to verse 18. Come back to verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. The good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, if Jesus' resurrection means that the judgment day is coming for everyone, how is that good news? God commands us to repent because we can repent. It's good news because God has made a way to be saved. Like the Thessalonians, see what it says at the end? Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. It's good news because Jesus rescues us from the day of judgment. Because our justice, the justice we deserved, fell on Jesus. Uh, It's a little bit like a bushfire. I'm sure you've heard this illustration before. Preachers only have like four illustrations. Uh, One of the few things I know about a bushfire is that if you're caught in a bushfire, the only safe place to go is where the fire has already been. There's the only, uh, other than 300 kilometers away from a bushfire, the only safe place 
is where the fire has already been, the blackened ground where there's nothing left to burn, which is a great picture of what it is like to be a Christian. That's where all who trust in Jesus are. We're standing where the fire has already been. The unstoppable justice of God that we deserve fell on Jesus. So when the day of wrath comes, we're safe because we stand in Christ Jesus. We stand on the blackened ground. So like the writer, the UCI writer, we can acknowledge that we've gone the wrong way. We can feel sad about doing that and we can turn around. But a little bit different to that writer, we actually need God's help to turn to God. We can only turn to God with His help, which is the very thing He promises to give us. Look at this passage just quickly, 2 Timothy 2. God says, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Repentance is something God grants to us, and He generously grants to us. That day is unstoppable. God's wrath and justice will come. Only Jesus can stop it being poured out on us. So how are you going to respond to these four truths about God that we've seen? I've got three responses you could make if you're a Christian and three you could make if you're exploring Jesus and wouldn't call yourself a Christian. I'll I'll do the ones if you're exploring Jesus first. They're all in verse 32. Have a look, verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. There's three responses here you could make if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. The first response you could make is to sneer at this, just like these people do. Reject this and continue to ignore God in the hope that he'll keep overlooking the way that you've treated him. As if God commands all people everywhere to repent except for you, you'll be fine. That's a very common response, but it's not a smart response and it's not a safe response. The second response you could make is to be like that group that say, we want to hear you again. We want to hear more about this. Uh, There's a great description actually in verse 11. Come back to this, Acts 17 verse 11. Paul's in a place called Berea. Verse 11, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's what this second group of people are. They explore this. They're Bereans. They explore if this is true. How you do that, grab a Bible. There's some up the back. Take it home with you. Have a read through the book of Acts. Or have a read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, which come just before Acts. Come to life that Fiona was telling us about. The proof that the judgment day is coming is that Jesus has raised, been raised from the dead. So read the eyewitness accounts about that and see if it's true. As you explore, though, don't be an Athenian who just loves ideas. Don't read the Bible because it's interesting. It's an interesting book. This is not simply an idea. This is an idea with teeth. This changes everything. Or the third response you could make is to believe this like Dionysius does, like Damaris do. That's the response all humans need to make. It's the only safe response, and it's the only response that God deserves. Now, there's three responses you could make if you're a Christian. First, believe this. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting that Jesus alone saves. 
Not what we say, not what we do, not our sacrifices, not the life of obedience that we bring to God as if God needs anything we could give him. All we ever bring to God is the sin that we need saving from. How God graciously welcomes us with open arms through Jesus. So keep believing this. Second, we can learn about mission from Paul because Paul knows his audience. Did you see that? He quotes their poets. He walks their streets to discover what they care about. He finds connections between them and the good news about Jesus. And then he packages the good news about Jesus to suit his audience. He doesn't change the message. He just changes the packaging so that it'll be heard. I think it's a great model to us of how to be on mission. Becoming like our audience, knowing our audience, rather than expecting them to become like us and to know us so that they can hear the good news about Jesus. And then last thing, learn to debate. Uh, Can you see how, how Paul debates here with the intellectuals and the philosophers? These are the heavyweights in Athens. And what does he give them? He gives them logic and arguments and history and evidence. Verse 17, he reasoned in the marketplace. Verse 11, the Bereans examined the Bible. What we're asking people to do when we ask them to become a Christian, we're not asking for blind faith and superstition. It's logical to believe in Jesus. It's rational. It's reasonable. There's evidence. You can debate this. The Bible and the news about Jesus stands up to, to scrutiny. Uh, sometimes we can get really intimidated by clever arguments and intellectual people. But compared to Jesus and the good news of the Bible... All the other arguments are rubbish. This is really strong. This is logical and reasonable and debatable. And it might be that as we try and share this with people, it might be that we get sneered at as we share this. Because it is strange ideas and it, and it is new ideas and new teaching. And Paul is here. Paul gets sneered at. But he lived. And it didn't undermine his belief in God or his worship of the one true God. Now, this brings us to the end of our series in Acts. Uh, Big message. What's the one big message from this series that we've seen in the last kind of 10 weeks? It's that God's work in the world is unstoppable because it's God's work and no one can stop God. The judgment day is unstoppable, but so is God's mercy to anyone and everyone who will come to him through Jesus. So keep trusting Jesus Keep sharing Jesus so that more people come to know and worship the one true God. Let's pray and ask that God would do that through us. Lord God, we thank you so much for what you've seen, what you've shown us. Thank you that you are knowable. Thank you that you want us to know you. Thank you that you care how we treat you. You are not like us, but you bring us repentance through Jesus. Lord, we pray that so many people around our city would know this truth about you before it's too late and before your mercy, the opportunity to have mercy runs out and only justice comes. Lord, please would you save so many for your glory. Amen.